Today I'm going to be preaching about the grace of God and how we are saved by grace and not by our works. But just before we get into the service, I would just like to ask you guys to pray for me as I'll be going to Malawi on Wednesday and we're going to just have a leaders conference. So those of you that want to pray about that, it'll be awesome. Uh, it will. The, my passion and my heart is just to see as many of those leaders just hear the gospel of grace and be encouraged in the message of grace. I'm sure there are many people there and many church leaders that has never heard the message of grace as we teach it here in this internet church. And I want to just do it in an effective way and see that those folk are impacted in, uh, in just in an awesome way. You know, this year I haven't traveled much and uh, I'll be going to uh, Brazil at the end of the month and now to Malawi. And I think that's basically all the travels, international travels for this year. There's nothing, nothing else coming up this year. <coughs> and that is simply because I felt to stay at home and study. And I'm so glad that I've spent so much time in studying the scripture and just looking at, at the New Testament and the whole concept of grace just from the beginning, studying through everything again and just seeing the new that God is bringing forth to my understanding in the gospel of grace. So that's just what I would like to ask you guys. If you think, think of that um, and think of me when I'm there, thank you for your prayers. Such a blessing. I'm excited to go and bring the gospel of grace. And then if you are in the Lilongwe area in Malawi, please feel free to come to the conference. You can go to our website, dynamicministries.com, and uh, you will just find there under news, you'll find the itinerary, and you will see exactly where that is and who the contact people are to contact to come to the conference. So feel free, come and join us. I would like to meet with you and just bring you this gospel of grace. Father, I want to thank you that as I'm about to bring this message, <coughs> I thank you, Father, for your grace and your power and the power of the Holy Spirit that just speaks through me today, bringing forth that which is your dream for humanity. Amen. Right, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 2. Now you guys will hear that I quote a lot from Ephesians because I've made a study about Ephesians and uh, just go through, went through Ephesians verse by verse and it's just so powerful to see what the Apostle Paul was saying and as I did that I, I looked at different books in the Bible, Galatians, uh, Philemon, um, Colossians, Corinthians and just had a brand new or I would say a stronger understanding of grace and what it means. So you will hear me quoting a lot from Ephesians because that is really what is in my heart and the foundational letter from where I see a lot of things. I just have such a, a much better understanding of Romans. So I'm excited for the year to come. I'm excited to go to Malawi to preach there, to go to Brazil to preach there and next year uh, I'm planning to travel to Europe and travel to the U.S. again and some other nations and just bring this message. I'm excited, guys. We're going to just see so much more of what God has done for us. Right, Ephesians 2, and I want to read from verse 4. He says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has quickened us together with Christ. And then in brackets there, By grace... You are saved. You can see there he immediately connects the quickening uh, to grace. He says, And he has raised us up together and made us sit together 
in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then there's a colon. Now it's going to explain what it means to be seated in Christ and the reason we were, why we are seated there. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that you, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at times you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the co covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, have, you that were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now, there is a mouthful in those passages. There is uh, church history, there is Jewish history, there is um, so much of historic things and concepts taken into this. But what I want to take out and show here is that we are not saved by our works. Now, and I want to explain to you what Paul meant by that and what was in his mind when he said that. Now, we today, if we say we are not saved by our works, there's a certain thing we, we understand when we say we are not saved by works. And the typical thing that we think when we say, I am not saved by works, is, and there are different points that I'll mention, number one, well, I'm not loved by God, should I do good things? God loves me the way I am. And that's what we understand, we, under, we are not saved by our works. Or we can say, I, do, I, will not, um, I don't have a place in heaven because of my good works. That is what we think. We think, well, uh, I'm not saved by my works, but I'm saved by grace. What it means is that God doesn't take my works into account and I can now go to heaven when I die. I want to tell you, none of those two examples that I've mentioned is what Paul had in mind at all when he wrote that. Paul wasn't thinking of, uh, you know, good works to gain a place so that we one day can go to heaven. Paul had a completely different understanding of what it means to be saved by grace. The first thing we see in, chapter, in, in verse 5 here is that he talks about a quickening that took place in the lives of the Gentiles. They talk about a change of life that came to them. And now he says that we have a new life by the influential power of God. We have been saved from our old life, and now we have a new life, not by our doing, not by our works, but by Christ and by His doing. And the reason why all of this is, why God has now placed us in heavenly places in Christ, what that actually means is, doesn't mean that I've got a physical seat somewhere. That's not what it means. It actually is a way of talking wherein he is saying we are seated with Christ, meaning the quality of life that is his belongs to us and what is true about him is true about us. That is what it means. So he says that God has done that. He has, he be, Christ became a man, 
went and sat at the right hand of the Father for the purpose that from this reality and this truth about, uh, about each one of us, that those who believe upon this truth, that in them God may show forth and bring forth the very glory of God. Let's read verse eight, verse 7 again there, or verse 6. And he has raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are we saved through faith, and they're not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I need to explain what boasting means as well today. So, <clears throat> what he's saying is, listen guys, the grace of God is that which saves us. Now, what was the concept of salvation to these people in Ephesus? The concept of salvation, according to the mind of Paul, as well as those people in Ephesus, when Paul explained it to them, based on the gospel that they've heard before, was that they are saved from death. That they were saved from death. So he says that in the ages to come, that means the in this age as from now until the return of Jesus Christ, as well as the age which, which would be after that, which would be after the return of Jesus Christ in the resurrection, in those ages, God would show forth the riches of his grace or the riches of of his power to pardon us from our sins and pardon us from our death, not as a legalistic pardoning, but as a physical pardoning, as a pardoning wherein by the doing of God, the life of God is made ours. That is what it is all about. So he comes and he says to these people, these uh, in Ephesus, these Gentiles, he says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were without Christ. Now, when the Bible says there they were without Christ, it doesn't mean that they were without Christ, uh, as we understand it. What it means was that their understanding was that Christ was only for the Jews. But the Jewish understanding, which was that Christ was only for the Jews, was also wrong. Because Christ was not for the Jews, neither was Christ for the Gentiles. Christ was for humanity. And he was not the Messiah to save us from uh, political oppressors, but he was the Messiah to save us from the oppression of sin and death and the devil. That is what it's all about, to save us from the Satan, to save us from the accuser and what it brings forth in our lives. That is what it was all about. He was the Messiah that would come and rule and reign over sin and death so that we, by our own power, don't have to try and conquer sin. So that we, by our own power, don't have to try and conquer death. Neither would we, by our own works, try and imitate or copy God. That is what he was saying there. So let us just read that again with what I've said in mind. It says, even, even when we were dead, um, in our sins, he has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Now, please, people, when we read that passage, yes, we understand the theory that in Jesus, everybody died, and in Jesus, everybody was raised as a brand new man. But if you study Ephesians from chapter 1, verse 1, you will see that he is talking about an experiential knowledge there. He is saying to the Gentiles, you know, 
the very life that Christ possessed at the right hand of the Father, you are seeing some of the fruit of that life in your life now. You have been quickened. You have been made alive. You came alive unto Christ and unto, the, unto sharing in His quality of life. And the context of chapter 2 here comes from chapter 1, wherein he talks about how these people in Ephesus started to, uh, which were Gentiles, started to love the Jews, which back then were, were um, speaking against them and were, uh, would spit on the ground when they see them, which would actually call them dogs. Yet these Gentile believers when they believed upon Jesus, they were quickened into a brand new life. And that, from that context, he comes and he says, by grace, you have been saved. From what? From the hatred and the bitterness and a life of not loving, a life bound by idol worship, sexual immorality, where in Ephesus, one of the rituals they would have in worshiping their gods and goddesses was sexual orgies where people would come together and actually abuse one another sexually and live under the torment of that belief. And all of a sudden, as they believed in Jesus, here was a brand new life. Now, I want to say to you, church, that when we talk about grace, we need to realize that grace does not exclude the life of God. Grace, and this is the beauty of the gospel, is God's visitation to man, wherein He tells man, take your hands off your own life, take your hands off trying to repair your own heart, trying to repair your own mind, take your hands off that, let me visit you as Dr. Jesus, as Abba Father, wherein I can come and heal you and set you free. You remember the name of Jesus, what it means? The Bible says you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That is what it, what it says. And then he will take that sin and he will separate it so far from us that we cannot actually even think that that life we used to have is part of our life. Remember what I said in last Sunday's message that the new man, the resurrected Jesus Christ, the man that he has, including the good works that he has done while he walked upon the earth and who he is today in the resurrection, above sin, above death, all of who he is, including his thoughts, including his emotions, including all his actions, is part of our inheritance. That is what we have inherited so if that is part of our inheritance, then we need to say, well, if Jesus inherited a resurrection, if Jesus inherited this brand new life by the glory or the, and I'm going to talk about the glory of God, by the visitation of the Father, when the Father visited him in his death and raised him up, that's how we will have a new life and no other way. And then that is what it says, we are saved by grace and not by works. Let me just um, read verse 8 there again. For by grace are you saved. By grace, let me put it this way, or by the visitation of God or the power of God, He causes by His doing to bring 
uh, it causes a new way of thinking, a new way of feeling, a new way of action, a new way of doing to come forth in our lives. And so He saves us from sin and death. That is not of ourselves. It is not by works. There's in verse 9, not by works lest any man should boast. Now that I will explain, but let's go to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. So he says here that we are not saved by our works at all. Works cannot save you. And then he explains why. He says, because we have been created unto good works. Now the moment you say that I am the love poem of God, you guys know and I've thought about that, that that means uh, the correct Greek word there would actually be a creation or a, um, a work of art. Thank you. It's a work of art. The, the, the work of art that God has brought forth, that work of art brought forth by God was for the purpose of being the very image of, of God in the earth. Remember the Bible says when Adam and Eve was made, he said, let us make man in our image. Or another way of saying it, let's make man as the very image of God in the earth. That word image there, one of the meanings of it is idol. So what God was saying, let us make, now, when, the word image connected to God is actually called that's what we are. We are the very image of God. If you take that word image and you use it in connection to a false god, you will call it an idol. That's what you will call it. That's why, and I've said it before, God says, let, don't bring any craven image of what you think God would be like or some other false gods before me. Why? Because you are the image of God. We are the very image of God. And what people would understand when they would make a wooden image or a brazen image or whatever of a god and worship it or a golden calf what it would mean is that is the image or the likeness of the very god that we cannot see and now that thing would be the presence and the 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 the, the basically the channel through which we can see the unseen god now when God said, let me make man, let us make man in our image, he completely took it upon him to bring forth who and what he is inside that image. And since we are not a dead image, but an image that is alive, since no wooden image or stone image can ever be an image of God since it is dead, only that which is alive can bear the image of God, which is us. He as the craftsman, he as the artist would come and he would paint this picture. And he painted this picture and he brought forth this sculpture, if you want to call it like that. And he took dust and he formed a man and gave it life. As what a person would make a painting and he would maybe put a background of first paint everything white and then started with, with, with shades of yellow and shades of green and add everything in and brings forth, he brings forth a picture that is inside him. He takes a, a bit of how he sees life and he puts it on that, paper, on that canvas or he makes that 
uh, a beautiful sculpture, and then that is uh, an image of how he sees life. In the very same way, that's what God did with man. That's why he made man. He made man for the purpose that man can actually share in the very life of God, and that would be the image of God in the earth. That would be the very place where we can see in one another what God is like, where who God is lives and finds uh, expression in the physical. And in so doing, these living creatures are actually sharing in the bliss and the beauty of God Himself. And that is the goodness of our Father. Now, if, if an image could talk, um, or, or if a painting could talk, and that painting, we've got a painting um, on the wall there of two old people sitting in a park somewhere, I think it's in New York, and they're just looking at the lights, and it's just beautiful. And I had this painting made and put in our, so, and, and I put in a house, and when I look at that, I'm just looking at, at that, and it, it's actually someone else had the ability to paint something, and it's an expression of what's in my heart. Because what I'm seeing in my heart is, um, I see these old, two old people there, and when I see them with their gray heads sitting on a bench in a park, and the husband's arm is around the wife, and they're just having this peaceful moment, that is what I dream for me and Eliana. That's Whenever I see that, it is, that's what I, where I envision us when we become old, happy, loving one another, and always being together. That is what I envision. That's why I've got that. But imagine that painting, there's a fire in the house, and that painting wants to save itself by the color of gray. It is impossible. The color of the painting cannot save it from the fire. In the very same way, we, by our works, cannot save ourselves because we've been made unto good works. That's what he says. Works doesn't save us. That's what we've been made unto. The only thing that saves us is grace. Works cannot save us from death. We've been made for good works. What saves us from death is the very visitation of God wherein God, by His doing, ends the sin in our life, ends the death in our life, brings forth a brand new life, and so saves us from not being the image of God in the earth. Now, in order to be the image of God in the earth, you'll have to have eternal life. Now, who of us, by our own power and by our own works, can save us from death, giving ourselves eternal life? It is impossible. It's only by the doing of God. And I know I'm going to repeat myself in what I'm about to say, but I want to... Um, Press this down deep into, our, in, into your heart, and I want you to meditate on this. Now, as I think about what I'm preaching now, I, I would think of this maybe 10 times, 15 times a day. This would go around in my mind, and I would think of Noah, I would think of um, uh, uh, Moses, I would think about these people and what grace means and what the visitation is. We cannot be saved by our works. Our works cannot, be, cannot save us from death. That is what we are supposed to have. It's not even something that we can have by our own works. Good works is a fruit of the very grace of God. And the end of grace is salvation from death. 
So, this grace saves us from our transgressions. It saves us from our uh, sins. Sin means uh, where we are not, we are missing the mark. So what does grace do? Grace ends where we miss the mark in our life with God. That's what grace does. That's why by the grace of God, we understand that we don't have to tithe to be blessed. By the grace of God, we understand that sowing and reaping doesn't work. Uh, talking about giving money to get more money. Uh, by the grace of God, we start to understand more and more of the scriptures. That's what it means. How? Because grace ends where we miss the mark about who we are and who God is. And it ends it in our understanding as well as in our experience. In other words, we can have knowledge by like having head knowledge, a new way of thinking, plus experiential knowledge by the grace of God in who we are and in what we are, as well as who God is and how He relates to us. So what grace does is it saves us from missing the mark. The mark that God had with us is, according to Ephesians 10 there, that He prepared good works, that we should walk in those good works, and as we walk in those good works, sharing in the life of God, we would be the image of God in the earth. We would be God, we would be as what a false image or a false God would have a, a wooden image. And when you look at that, or when you look at the Buddha, you know, those little uh, Buddha things, you know, or painting of it, when you look at that, you, will, you know that is not Buddha. You know, but it talks about something. It speaks about the Buddha. It talks about something else. In the very same way, we, when we walk in the earth, the good works that there is, love, joy, peace, kindness, and all those kind of things, that in our lives, by the one, by the artist, bringing it forth, that is the image of God in the earth. And these people that are the very image of God, they would... They would be alive with the very life of God, where God shares His life with them, where they enjoy their life and share in the very life of God and walk with God. And in so doing, they would be the image of God in the earth unto all angels, unto all living creatures, unto everything, they would be the image of God in the physical and so share in the life of God. Now, so what is grace? Grace is, and we're going to look at it now, grace is the very visitation of God where God visits us with mercy, where God visits us with forgiveness, where God visits us with a power that ends missing the mark, where the mark would be that these people that are His image would share in His life, in receiving His life, as well as having experiential knowledge of the very love and life of God, where they love like God, where they are as kind as God, where they are um, as merciful as God, where they have the very thoughts of God, and actually just sharing the life of God. Church, we need, a, we need to understand this. <clears throat> I know that as I'm going to preach about grace and the fruit grace brings in our life, that many people might say, I don't want to hear that, because... I, I'm going to mess it up anyway. You are reasoning from the old man. 
you're not seeing yourself as made new. You're not seeing yourself as the new person, the resurrected Christ. You're still reasoning from the inability man, which is the old man. You, I don't say reason now from a ability man, by my own ability I can. No, look in the mirror, look at who Jesus is, and that Jesus and what you see there is the truth about you. That's it. So you can't say, well, I can't by looking in the mirror, discover who I am, and through that looking in that mirror, because I'm, I don't have the ability to look in the mirror. God will not bring forth a system, and He will not relate to you in Christ in a way wherein He cannot find success in your life, where He successfully brings forth who He is in you. You cannot mess up. It is within our ability by the Holy Spirit, bringing the mirror in front of us all the time to show us who we are, by the Spirit's doing, by the Spirit's prompting in our hearts. The Bible says when you look into the perfect law of liberty, it doesn't mean I must now go and look all the time. It, the way I believe I look into the perfect law of liberty is the Holy Spirit comes and He reminds me of who I am in Christ. Does the Bible not say the Holy Spirit will remind us of what we have freely received in Christ? That means that the Holy Spirit will bring forth the law of liberty, what we freely receive, the liberation we have received in Christ, continually to us. And as we behold what the Spirit says, and don't forget what the Spirit has said, that being the only truth and reality in our lives, we find that God conquers every area in your life where you miss it. Where, In other words, where I'm not saying that sin is the breaking of the law in the sense of, well, you have committed a sin and now God says, I don't look at the sin anymore. No, what I'm saying is sin simply means to miss the mark, to miss the goal. And God still has a goal with you. And the goal is that you share His life, that you have His peace, that you have His kindness. And we see that the Apostle Paul says, although the outer man is perishing, uh, and he's talking in that sense, I believe, about the physical, and he's also, also talking about the law system in the world. Although that is perishing, that's fine. The inner man is renewed. And it just doesn't just talk about the spirit. It's talking about the real me, which will have its full manifestation, even in the physical, in the return of Christ. That is renewed, that is known more, that is exper experienced more, and we see it in our life. By the fruit, the great artist brings forth in his doing. Right, um, Exodus 34. And I'm just going to read Exodus 34 and explain it, and that's what we're going to end off. We're not going to have that long service today. Exodus 34. This is what it says um, from verse 6. I've preached about this many times, but I want you, and I've quoted this strongly last time in the service, but now I want to read it and go through it and actually show you what this says. It says from verse... Um, Verse 5, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Now listen to what he says to Moses here. He said, listen, I am merciful. In other words, I bow my head to the equal, honoring the equal. I am gracious. Gracious also means influential. 
I've, I've got an influence to bring forth something new. That's who I am. Um, merciful, let me, sorry, I missed the place here. <clears throat> merciful, gracious, long-suffering. In other words, while I do this, I'm not quickly going to give up and I will continue. And even if people are stiff-necked, even if people are difficult, I'm going to continue being who I am. I am abundant in goodness and truth. I don't have, I want to be good to somebody. I am someone that is good to others. Uh, and he explains that goodness in the light of mercy. In other words, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, and I am abundant in being good. I am abundant in truth, in walking in, in the reality of who people are and walking according to who God really is. Um, I keep mercy for thousands. In other words, this thing is more than just for this generation. This is into the generations to come. That is who I am. I, um, and and this, by this mercy, what this mercy means, I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. That means I remove the very, uh, the, the very inner, the, the very ability of man to continually walk in sin. I can remove that. I can remove iniquity. I can remove the wrong way of thinking. I can remove the ability to harm from someone. That's one of, one of the root meanings for iniquity. It means the ability to harm. He says, I can remove the ability to harm from someone. I can set people free from where they missed the mark of what I've dreamt for them. And then it goes on. And I will not pass by any guilty one. I will visit everyone that is... Under this bondage, I will, um, it actually says that I will not clear any. It, it doesn't even say they're guilty. Guilty is italicized by the understanding of the translator. It doesn't talk about guilt. They just talk about people that have iniquity and transgression and sin, and that he will by no means clear or not visit any of these people and their children. That is what he is saying there. And then Moses, listen to verse 8 here, he made haste, bowed his head towards the earth, and he worshipped, and he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, remember we are saved by grace, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray you, go amongst us, for we are a stiff-necked people. In other words, since you are a God that is long-suffering and these are stiff-necked people, you please come amongst us because these people are stiff-necked. They're difficult. They are stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for thine inheritance. In other words, God, you, you, you own so much. You've got such a rich life. And what I get by what you are saying is, is that you want somebody to be heirs of your very life. That is what he's saying. I am hearing that you are a person that actually wants to come and visit us. The root word, one of the root words for, in the Greek for, for, um, for grace means to visit or pitch a tent, like I've said many times now. And I want to tell you, I repeat things because I want us not to, the purpose of this web church is not to have a quick message of feeling good. That's not what it's about. It's about understanding and coming to the knowledge of the grace of God. 
And as you come into the understanding and the knowledge of grace of God, my prayer and my desire is that it will hit you so deep in your heart and it will find its root in the depth of your being that you are so serious about this and so overwhelmed by this that it becomes and is the only truth from where your reason shapes and is the father of your life. That is, that is the dream. So I, I can say, well, I can't preach the same message every Sunday because people might get bored. Listen, if I feel in my heart that that is what, what, what is in my heart to preach and I feel that is what shapes my life and that's what I need to say, I'll say it for a year. I'll preach on these three passages for a year. And in that, some can grab it and share in the true life of God. <laughs> Glory to God. It is not about having a new message every Sunday. It's about not having a new message every Sunday and having one message so that from that message, we can find life and we can approach that truth from different angles. So what he's saying, what Moses is actually saying, he says, God, you've now appeared to me. You've now shown me your glory. Now remember, the Bible says Jesus was raised from the by the glory of the Father. So here is God showing his glory. He's showing the view and opinion he has. He's showing the plan he has. He's showing his ability to end iniquity, transgression and sin and make things new. He's showing it forth. He says, I am a merciful God. And mercy there, he defines a little bit later on, visiting sins with mercy. What does that mean? That means pardoning sin. What does pardoning sin mean? It means ending sin to exist in your life. Sin means missing the mark. So what he says is, I will visit all the sinners and the ability that I have is to stop each one of them to miss the mark and the goal that I've had for their life that I've dreamt and envisioned where I want to share my life with them. That's what he's saying. And Moses listened to all of this. And we, by the interpretation that of Moses' action in verse 8 and 9 here, we can see what he understood by what God said. Now, I do believe that God did come and say, I am the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering. I believe that it might be that he even used those words exactly like that. But I believe, I also believe that that can be a, a, sh a shortened version of maybe a five-hour conversation wherein Moses, where God spoke to Moses and revealed himself to Moses and said who he was and used different examples and Moses said, this is a gracious God. He, he actually came and said that he is merciful, he's gracious, he's long-suffering and under long-suffering God could have used many examples to explain his long-suffering and as Moses listened to all of this, he came to the bottom line conclusion that you, God, are actually looking for a place to come and be good to people, to end where they miss it in their lives, to end, where, end their pain, end the harm in their life, give them eternal life, and you're actually willing, even if these people are stubborn, to continue to help them, to continue to help them, to, to see them free from what binds them. And he says, I see that you've got... You are such a rich God. You've got so much that you, that, of who you are and you want, you want somebody to be rewarded with your life. You want someone for your inheritance. 
And what did Jesus inherit in the resurrection, church? He inherited eternal life and the bliss of who God is in human form. And we are co-heirs. That means that God came in Christ and he imparted grace unto us. Grace in such a way that he sets us so free from these things that the very thing that caused us to be free can actually live in us so that we can be gracious, that we can be kind, that we can be loving, that we can be good to people. And all of that is by his grace. We are not saved from any place or anything in our life where we miss the mark by our own works. You cannot be saved from hatred by trying to give money to a poor person. You've been, God came and He shapes us unto that kind of a life and His grace, His visitation, His ability to bring forth the new, which was displayed in bringing forth a man that represented all, dying away the old, raising that man up into newness of life, presenting the world with that truth, that was his grace. That is his visitation. So I want to say to you, you are not saved by grace. Oh, you are not saved by works. You are saved by grace. And grace is the visitation of God wherein he influences man by him becoming a human, wherein, as we took in, spoke in the communion, where he actually said, uh, I take their death and I die it away. And by the glory of the Father, by the grace of the Father, I recreate and make new as I've dreamt from the beginning. I want to tell you, church, if our understanding of the gospel is uh, a life with Jesus outside of good works, it's like saying that a person that was molested would one day want to get married, but they don't want to be intimate with their husband. The girl was molested, and she now says, I want to be married, but I don't want physical intimacy. It's, it, it, marriage and having no intimacy doesn't go together. That is a part of marriage. It's included in the marriage. In the very same way, if we in the church was molested by lies, if we were abused by lies and laws, it doesn't mean that now in Christ, good works is excluded from our marriage with Him. The marriage includes good works, and the good works is not a work we produce. It is the job of His grace, and Him bringing forth the fruit in us, by his doing, and we can then joyously partake in the highest form of life, which is love. The highest form of life is love. And you might say, Bertie, do you think you love perfectly in this world? Well, if I must measure my love, if I must actually go down to the lowest form of living, which would be to try and measure the love that I have, which I don't like to do, I would say, no, I don't 
get everything right all the time. I don't find that I all the time love as much as what Jesus has loved. I don't find that if somebody would nail me to a cross today, that I would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I might be screaming. I might try to get out of it. I I don't know what I'll do. I, I see that. Yet, even if I see all of that, it doesn't change the truth. Our God is long-suffering. It means that we, through faith and patience, inherit the promise. Glory to God. Just be patient. Let God work in you. This is a relationship. He came to Moses and says, he says, I'm a God of long-suffering. So Moses, no, I'm going to be with you guys a long time. And this might take time, but I, by my grace, am bringing it forth. And since that is why God lives with us and is with us and finds his abode with us and came in live in a man at the right hand of the Father, which is the word about us, let us just have this walk with him and have this expectation wherein we can say, Father, even if we've been hurt in the past in the area of works, we've been hurt in the, in the past in the area of forms of generosity or even going to a to do a fellowship where we talk about Jesus or anything, I just want to say to you, Father, my heart hurts, but I want to say you are the one that by your visitation and your grace and your influence upon my heart and the resurrected Jesus will raise me up into what you've dreamt for me. Good works is part of my inheritance, so Father, thank you that you bring it forth in me, and that's what I am open for. Amen and amen. Well, I want to thank you guys for watching and sharing in this message. I would like to ask you, if this message has touched you and you feel a prompting in your heart to share it, right there on Facebook, just click share. Uh, I understand that some folk don't want to do that. That's 100% fine with me, but sometimes people just forget to do that. If you want to do that, please do it. We want to see as many people as possible get to hear this absolute truth about the grace of God. And I want to thank everybody that, um, that also gives generally into the ministry. Thank you for, you know, I don't always thank people uh, for it uh, on the, in the service. Sometimes I feel a little bit bad for not doing that, but we, we do send the emails and those kind of things. But in my heart, I just feel an absolute generosity um, uh, towards people, and I also feel an absolute gratitude uh, of your generosity towards the ministry. Thank you so much. And I also want to say, if you feel in your heart to, um, to give to another ministry uh, where you see grace come forth and that kind of a thing, please do so. Um, I mean, only a crazy person, you know, in this, according to the law would say, you don't have to give to this ministry, take some of my money and give it to another ministry. I just want to say to you, you are absolutely free to follow what the Lord God puts in your heart. Amen. So uh, thank you for that. And again, I'm going to Malawi uh, on, on Wednesday. I'm very excited about that. I, it's been a long time since I've preached in one of the African countries, and I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah, I forgot. The end of the year, uh, my son and I, we're going to go up uh, in, in December. We're planning to go to Zambia, to the mission station there. It will just be the two of us going up, uh, me and Henry. Uh, we were talking about his, uh, his holidays after school and if he's going to go with friends somewhere or everything. And uh, he, he wants to go with me to Zambia. So we're going to go to Zambia and we're going to preach the gospel and just bless some of those people in very poor areas there. 
with the good news, the gospel of grace. Thank you so much for watching, and then uh, I will have a message next Sunday, although I will not be here, there will be a message that I'm going to make tomorrow for next Sunday, so see you guys next Sunday. God bless.